Chapter Sixteen of Dawn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sunny. Dawn by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter Sixteen: The Worry of It. There was a letter from the doctor when the bandages were removed. Daniel Burton began to read the letter, but his eyes blurred and his hand shook, so that Susan had to take up where he had dropped it. Yet the letter was very short. The operation had been as successful, perhaps, as they could expect under the circumstances. Keith could discern light now, faintly, to be sure, but unmistakably. He was well and happy. Meanwhile he was under treatment for the second operation to come later, but that could not be performed for some time yet, so they must not lose their patience. That was all. "'Well, I suppose we ought to be glad he can see light even a little,' sighed Susan. "'But I'm free to confess I was hoping he could do a little more than that.' "'Yes, so was I,' said Daniel Burton, and Susan, looking at his face, turned away without another word. There were times when Susan knew enough not to talk.' Then came the days when there were only Keith's letters, and an occasional short note from the doctor to break the long months of waiting. In the Burton homestead at Hinesdale, living was reduced to the simplest formula possible. On the whole, there was perhaps a little more money. Dunning tradesmen were not so numerous, but all luxuries, and some things that were almost necessities, were rigorously left out, and the money was saved, always, for Keith. A lodger, a young law student, in Keith's old room helped towards defraying the family expenses. Susan had given up trying to sell her poems. She had become convinced at last that a cruel and unappreciative editorial wall was forever to bar her from what she still believed was an eagerly awaiting public. She still occasionally wrote jingles and talked in rhyme, but undeniably she had lost her courage and the enthusiasm. As she expressed it to Mrs. McGuire, she did not feel a mite like a gushing siphon inside her now. As summer came and passed, Susan and Mrs. McGuire talked over the backyard fence even more frequently, perhaps because Susan was lonely without Keith, perhaps because there was so much to talk about. First, there was Keith. Keith was still under treatment preparatory to the second operation. He had not responded quite as they had hoped the doctor said, which meant that the operation must be postponed for perhaps several months longer. All this Susan talked over with Mrs. McGuire, and there was always, too, the hushed discussion as to what would happen if, after all, it failed, and Keith came home hopelessly blind. "'But even that ain't the worst thing that could happen,' maintained Susan stoutly. "'I can tell you Keith Burton ain't gonna let a little thing like that floor him.' Mrs. McGuire, however, did not echo Susan's optimistic prophecies, but Mrs. McGuire's own sky just now was overcast, which perhaps had something to do with it. Mrs. McGuire had troubles of her own. It was the summer of 1914, and the never-to-be-forgotten August had come and passed, firing the match that was destined to set the whole world ablaze. Mrs. McGuire's eldest son, John, of whom she boasted in season and out, and whom she loved with an all-absorbing passion, had caught the war fever, gone to Canada, and enlisted. Mrs. McGuire herself was Canadian by birth, and all her family still lived there. 
She was boasting now more than ever about John, but proud as she was of her soldier boy, his going had plunged her into an abyss of doubt and gloom. "'He'll never come back, he'll never come back,' she moaned to Susan. "'I can just feel it in my bones that he won't.' "'Shucks! A great, strong, healthy boy like John McGuire! Of course he'll come back,' retorted Susan. "'Besides, likely the war'll be all over with for he gets there anyhow. And as for feeling it in your bones, Miss McGuire, that's a very facetious doctrine, and ain't no more to be depended upon than my flower sieve for an umbrella.' They're gay receivers every time, bones are. Why, land sakes, Miss McGuire, if all things happened that my bones told me was going to happen, there wouldn't be none of us living by now, nor the sun shining, nor the moon moonin'. I found out after a while how they didn't happen half the time, and I wrote a poem on it like this. Trust em not, them fickle bones, always talkin' moans and groans, just as if inside of you lived a thing could tell you true whether it was going to rain whether you would have a pain whether him or you would beat whether you'd have enough to eat bones was give to hold us straight not tell us about our fate yes yes i suppose so sighed mrs mcguire but when i think of john my john lying there so cold and still well he ain't layin there yet cut in susan impatiently time enough to hunt bears when you see their tracks miss mcguire can't you see that worryin don't do no good you'll have it all for nothin if he don't get hurt and if he does you'll have all this extra for nothin anyway that you didn't need till the time came ever hear my poem on worryin without waiting for reply susan never asked such questions with a view to having them answered she chanted this worry never climbed a hill worry never paid a bill worry never led a horse to water worry never cooked a meal worry never darned a heel worry never did a thing you could think it oughta yes yes i know i know sighed mrs mcguire again but john is so well you don't know my john nobody knows john as i do he'd have made a big man if he'd lived john would if he'd lived repeated susan severely well i never mrs mcguire if you ain't talkin already as if he was dead you don't have to begin to write his obiquity notice yet do you but he is dead moaned mrs mcguire catching at the one word in susan's remark and paying no attention to the rest he's dead to everything he was going to do he was ambitious my john was he was always studyin and readin books nights and sundays and holidays when he didn't have to be in the store he was takin a course you know yes i know one of those respondin schools nodded susan john's a clever lad he is i'm free to confess under the sunshine of susan's appreciation mrs mcguire drew a step nearer he was studying so he could mount to something john was declared mrs mcguire he was going to be she paused and threw a hurried look over her shoulder he was keeping it secret but he won't mind my telling now he was going to be a writer some day he hoped susan's instantly alert attention was most flattering so you don't say poems i don't know mrs mcguire drew back and spoke a little coldly now that the secret was out mrs mcguire was troubled evidently with qualms of conscience 
He never said much. He didn't want it talked about. Susan drew a long breath. Yes, I know. Tain't so pleasant if folks know, when you can't sell em. Now in my case— but Mrs. McGuire, with a hurried word about the beans in her oven, had hastened into the house. Mrs. McGuire was not the only one with whom Susan was having long talks. September had come, bringing again the opening of schools, which in turn had brought Miss Dorothy Parkman back to Hinesdale. Miss Dorothy was seventeen now, and prettier than ever, in Susan's opinion. She had been again to her father's home, and Susan could never hear enough of her visit or of Keith nor was Miss Dorothy evidently in the least loath to talk of her visit, or of Keith. Patiently, even interestedly, each time she saw Susan, she would repeat for her the details of Keith's daily life, telling everything that she knew about him. "'But I've told you all this before,' she said laughingly one day, when Susan had stopped her as she was going by the house. "'I've told you several times before.' "'Yes, I know you have,' nodded Susan, drawing a long breath. "'But I always get something new in it, just as I do in the Bible, you know. "'You always tell me something you hadn't mentioned before. "'Now, today, you never told me before about them dominoes you and him played together.' "'Didn't I?' an added color came into Miss Dorothy's cheeks. "'Well, we played them quite a lot, poor fellow.' Time hung pretty heavily on his hands, and we had to do something for him. There were other games, too, that we played together. But how can he play dominoes and those others when, when he can't see? Oh, the points on the dominoes are raised, of course, and the board has little round places surrounded by raised borders for him to keep his dominoes in. The cards are marked with little raised signs in the corners, and there are dice studded with tiny nail heads. The checkerboard has little grooves to keep the men from sliding. Of course, we already had all these games, you know. They used them for all father's patients. But, of course, Keith had to be taught first. And you taught him? Well, I taught him some of them. The added color was still in Miss Dorothy's cheeks. And you told me last week you read to him. Yes, oh, yes, I read to him quite a lot. The anxiously puckered frown on Susan's face suddenly dissolved into a broad smile. "'Land sakes, if that ain't the limit,' she chuckled. "'Well, what do you mean by that?' bridled Miss Dorothy, looking not exactly pleased. "'Nothing. It's only that I was just thinking on how you was fooling him.' "'Fooling him?' Miss Dorothy was looking decidedly not pleased now. "'Yes.' and you all the time dorothy parkman and he not knowing it oh the color on miss dorothy's face was one pink blush now then she laughed lightly after all do you know i hardly ever thought of that after the very first he called me miss stewart of course but lots of folks out there do that they don't think or don't know about my name being different you see the patients coming and going all the time know me as the doctor's daughter, and naturally they call me Miss Stewart, so it doesn't seem so queer when Mr. Keith does it. Good, exclaimed Susan with glowing satisfaction, and now here's to hoping he won't never find out who you really be. Is he so very bitter, then, against Dorothy Parkman? The girl asked the question a little wistfully. He just is, nodded Susan with unflattering emphasis. 
if you'd heard him when he just persisted that he wouldn't have anybody that was dorothy parkman's father even look at his eyes you'd have thought so i guess and why he even wrote about it way back last christmas i mean when he first told us about you he said the doctor had a daughter and she was all right but he didn't like her all, all at first cause her voice kept reminding him of somebody he didn't want to be reminded of did he really write that them's the identifying words avowed susan so you'll just have to keep it a secret who you be you see she warned her yes i see murmured the girl all the pretty color had quite gone from her face now leaving it a little white and strained looking i'll try to of course when he gets back his sight he'll find out that is miss dorothy he is going to get back ain't he susan's own face had now become a little white and strained looking miss dorothy shook her head i don't know susan but i'm afraid afraid you don't mean that he ain't going to susan caught dorothy's arm in a vice-like grip no no not that but we aren't sure and the symptoms aren't quite as good as they were hurried on the girl a bit feverishly but i thought he could see light faltered susan he could at first but it's been getting dimmer and dimmer and now the girl stopped and wet her lips there's to be a second operation you know father hopes to have it by christmas or before but i know father is afraid that is he thinks he don't like the way things is goin cut in susan grimly ain't that about it i'm afraid it is faltered miss dorothy wetting her lips again and when i think of that boy she turned away her head leaving her sentence unfinished well we ain't going to think of it till it comes declared susan stoutly and then well if it does come we've all got to set up and help em forget it that's all yes of course murmured the girl turning away again and this time she turned quite away and went down the street leaving susan by the gate alone nice girl and a mighty pretty one too whispered susan looking after the trim little figure in its scarlet cap and sweater and she's got a good kind heart in her too a carin like that about that boy's bein susan stopped short a new look had come to her face a look of wonder questioning and dawning delight land sakes why hain't i never thought of that before she muttered her eyes still on the rapidly disappearing little red figure down the street course they're nothing but babes now but by and by still if he ever found out she was dorothy parkman and of course he'd have to find it out if he married oh land sakes what fools some folks be with which somewhat cryptic statement susan turned and marched irritably into the house end of chapter sixteen recording by sunny